Theology Thursday live in an interesting study. Um, I just started, you know, looking at end times things. Kind of rambling a second to let a couple people call nine if they like. Um, but you know, we're in the COVID days, and so we. There's a lot of talk, maybe too much talk, about um, eschatology, end times. Um, theology is this the end of the world. That's kind of where we started. Uh, mark of the beast. Is this the mark of the beast? Um, all these things that a lot of people are curious about, looking into. Um, is, is this the end of time? So I guess the fascination with that is due to the idea that well if this is the end of time then I want to be ready for it I guess hey Jesse um so yeah no, there's always been a lot of fascination with eschatology the study of end times so you know and, and it's interesting to me the perspective from which it is approached popular in the Christian church. And um, really only from certain perspectives is eschatology really on the forefront of a lot of theology because in certain, gosh, I hate to be using all these big words, but I've been reading today and all these theological perspectives um, in these different eschatological systems and all of these different ways of viewing what does the Bible have to say about the end of time, what's going to happen in the last days. Um, there's a lot of fascination with it. And there's just some of it's fear-based. So that, you know, and the question is, you know, will we, will the church have to go through the tribulation? Well, that's an interesting question because that is basically really a dispensational question. That's one that um, somebody who's interested in dispensational theology. So let me see where it's the best way to approach this so as to not just jump in the deep end with it. Um, I started looking at, is it in the world? So I thought, hey, let's talk about that. Is this the mark of the beast? What's the mark of the beast? Hey, let's talk about that. Um, and then you start to see all these other things, particularly on Facebook. Um, the rapture, the church going to be raptured. You know, when's the church going to be raptured? Before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation? You know, what's going to happen? Um, and so just started looking at the idea of the rapture. And... Uh, why is it so divisive? Which is an interesting word that we're going to see why that word's interesting in a minute. Um, because in certain churches, if you're not, if you don't believe in the rapture, you're not speaking at their church. You can't use their materials. You um, are fairly much considered heretical, depending on the the level at which people hold these views. But it is interesting that for certain churches, denominations. The idea of the rapture is right up there with the top things theologically that one must believe to be considered to be um, a true church. So, um, so I did a little thing on the rapture. I didn't catch flack from it because people who believe in the rapture and stuff, they ain't watching this. Okay, so I had to ask a few friends who are much more well-versed in the whole um, rapture theology than, than I currently am. I used to really be into all of this stuff. 
years and years and years ago. So I asked a good friend of mine, Rick Clayton, I said, hey man, what's the deal? Because he's not a dispensationalist, he's not a, a, um, a rapture person, but he, he knows them, and he maybe used to be one too, I think. So um, his point was that the reason the rapture is such a pivotal issue, is why it's such a big deal, is because it is one of those watchtower issues. That's my word, not his. It's one of those... Is it bellwether? That's an interesting word. It's one of those things that, that serves like a shibboleth. It's one of those things that are like, okay, um, if the if you don't believe in the rapture, then you're not A, B, C, D. And one of those things, apparently, is you're not a dispensationalist. Now that's interesting. So, for one to disbelieve the rapture, means that you're not a dispensationalist. But then there's John MacArthur. Uh, and by the way, this is going to be fun, because what we're going to do is we're going to learn together. Um, I've been familiar with this. A lot of my, I've learned a lot more about different things. Um, so it's been a long time since I've looked at dispensationalism. It's been a long time since I've looked at the rapture, because um, I look at my end times eschatological eschatological views from the perspective that I um, was convinced is the right perspective biblically. And so I just kind of kept it going from there. But then if somebody says, well, take me back to the beginning, because that's where I am. I'm still in this way of thinking. Why did you depart from that? Well, I'm like, <laughs> so I need to go back. So what that will do is, um, hopefully I was right back there, and then I can uh, reiterate and reinforce the things that I believe, help other people um, get there too, and then I can help other people as well. And then hopefully um, what we are able to do is find out from people who do have different perspectives that are uh, approaching this biblically, uh, we can find some common ground in what my experience being a Reformed covenantal um theologian is is that much of the disagreement from a lot of camps um, over theological issues like this comes from a, a lack of understanding of what covenantal reform theology really is. Um, there's a lot of oh, uh, you know, assumptions about what it is, and and so people are really attacking caricatures of. Reformed and covenantal theology rather than actually interacting with um, the biblical basis from Reformed and theological, Reformed and covenantal theology. So, um, there are other biblical perspectives. So, what we can do is reason together and uh, go to the Word of God and see uh, how, one, what my perspective is and how I'm coming, approaching it scripturally. So, if you disagree with me but you agree that Scripture is the Word of God, what you should be able to say is, that right there, that's where you're. That's where you're getting it wrong, or at least this is where we have our disagreement. Um, I don't think that there's a lot of understanding of where that exactly is, um, and so it is good to know the differences between what I believe and you believe and somebody else believes. But to know why we believe that, but to really be able to interact with somebody else, you have to understand their perspective, and that's just true of most things. If you're if you're in a debate with someone, or if you're in a conversation with someone that you disagree with, you have to listen with the idea that there is something that you can learn from the other person. Even if they're wrong, you can at least learn, pick up on why are they wrong. Or, or because if you can't explain, if you can't explain my position on something to me 
properly, then I'm not going to listen to you debunk it because you don't even understand it. And the same goes from my perspective. So I can't debunk or argue or say, you know, I disagree with what you think when I can't even explain what it is you think. So I hope we see the, the point here. So what I started to see is as we go back into this study of not just the rapture, because the rapture is just the tip of the iceberg. So, and this is really, I've had a lot of fun with this. And so I think it can be fun. Um, but there's serious issues too. This is, this is the word of God. These are things that he has revealed. We have to make sure that we don't go beyond the word of God. Things that he hasn't revealed, we just need to chill on. Things he has revealed, then we need to study ourselves. I don't think um, laziness is going to be an excuse for um, bad theology. And also, it is lazy for lay people, play on words there again, for lay people, for non-pastor type peoples, just to depend on pastors or teachers to instruct them as to what the Bible says. You're supposed to look, you're supposed to study these things for yourself too, because I can be very wrong, and if you use me as your authority, then especially, I mean, you can see me as, you know, maybe, like you go to a doctor, but if he tells you you need to have surgery, you need to study up on it. You need to get a second opinion. You need to, you know, just believing anything anybody says um, can lead you into problems. So we're supposed to study these things for ourselves. All right, so... Um, started looking at this rapture thing and then realizing, you know, um, Rick is right. This is about um, dispensationalism, dispensational theology. So then have start studying not just the rapture. You have to study dispensational theology. What's dispensational? Jesse and Jesse are here. The dispensational theology is. And dispensational theology, here's the problem with dispensational theology. It is the rabbit hole of... I'm sorry. See, I'm not a dispensational the theologian, so I have to be very careful with it. <laughs> I guess I don't want to make fun of this, but it can be, a lot of things can be like this. It can be so fascinatingly deep, so fascinatingly, I don't so fascinating that you can go down that rabbit hole and not come up so that a lot of people, this is it for their theology when it comes down to it, is 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 end time stuff. So, let's dig into it for just a minute here. I don't want to go too long. <laughs> My watch is stopped. But I have a clock over there. Um, John Darby. It does appear as if John Darby is the guy that first at least popularized um, the concept of the rapture and uh, dispensational theology. Um, he has his own translation of the Bible, too, which is kind of cool. So, um, DRB is how I think it's typically or DBY is how it's typically um, abbreviated, but he did a translation of the Old New Testament. This guy's no dummy, okay? Um, but that doesn't mean somebody hasn't got something wrong. And when you get something wrong, at a, you know, here's the thing. All right, you're going like this, and then take a little bit of an angle off of, you know, what truth is. And then all of a sudden, you, you just, you're way out. The further out you go, the further off you are. So the further back you go into that, then you see it causes more problems of more things as you go along. So um, it is possible for you know anybody of any intelligence to get something wrong. Um, and then if you've got this little fundamental thing wrong, then it throws everything else off. Like math, you know, if you ever took a, any kind of a like algebra or calculus or anything like that, it, it requires several steps. You get something wrong at the very beginning, 
It's all wrong. So um, that's why some people hate math and why some people love it. Um, dispensational theology, dividing. Oh, I left my book in the car. No, here it is. This is a book, and I think Facebook here is um, mirrored, so this is going to be backwards. But um, this was the first book. I have another book I'm going to be looking at. Um, uh, Vern Poitras. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Something about dispensationalism. But it's... Um, we're going to be look, using that to all right, hold it up to a mirror, and you see it is a primer or primer uh, on dispensationalism. Dispensationalism by John Gerstner, and he was a dispensationalist at first. Was saved by a dispensational preacher, and um, so he has love for them, and he does a pretty good job so far in not just being a jerk about things. So I'll try not to be a jerk about things too, but. Um, he says so a lot of what I'm using right now is from him, and then we're comparing it to Scripture. But according to um, Gerstner, he says that Second um, Peter, Second um, Timothy, two fifteen is an important passage for um, dispensational theologians. So if we go real quick, Second Timothy, all the letters of Paul are together, T's are in order, alphabetically and numerically. So Second Timothy chapter two. This is a famous verse, um, well, famous, everybody knows it. This is, um, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. He's talking particularly to Timothy, but this is for all Christians. Do yourself to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay, ESV here. Um, NAS, and so it's the rightly handling of the word of truth. That's what we're looking at. Um, ESV, rightly handling. NAS, rightly handling. Um, Darby's translation says, cutting with a straight line, the word of truth. King James Version, New King James Version says, rightly dividing the word of truth. According to Gerstner, in my reading here, um, he says this text is central to dispensational theology and that they see the Bible, therefore, as divided into different dispensations. Now, that's a new thought to me. I, I was unaware of this. And if, if I have any dispensational theologians or just people who believe me, well, I mean, we're all theologians. Um, if you think a thought about God, it's a theological thought. So if you're dispensational, if you'd like to add some comments, do it. Text me, call me, comment here, whatever you like to do. But um, I never particularly picked up on that. But man, it sure makes a whole lot of sense, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so if you're going to divide it, then you have to divide it properly, dividing it up. But if you look up the Greek, it's um, ortho tomato, ortho tomato. But there's a word that, I remember when I heard it, it was like tomato. Ortho tomato, I think, but it's straight cutting. So it's straight cutting the word of God. What it means is rightly dividing, it's rightly interpreting, rightly handling um, the word of God. It's it's just a, a Greek phrase that was used for that. It did not intend to be some secret clue as to how you divide and split up the word of God. But it does show um, a big difference between um, dispensational theologians and non-dispensational theologians. Um, they see these different um, divisions as stages of revelation. As they're being divided into these stages, uh, they begin to conflict with each other rather than unfold um, upon one another. And so this is a huge difference. And apparently, from what I'm seeing and reading, is that... Um, there is a huge the, the opposite of dispensational theology as far as if you're going to be within the mold of religious um, Christian um, biblical theology is covenantal theology. 
and and I'm going to go out on a limb and say this too. Um, the my the dispensational friends I have um, talk past each other a lot. What I'm seeing, so if I say something and they they're not getting it. A dispensational theologian is not thinking in the same categories that a um, a covenantal theologian is thinking in. Um, especially reformed, I guess you have to be covenantal. You're reformed, but. Um, the the thought processes just start they diverge way back like I was saying how they you get off at some point and you you get here so I can say one thing and you're saying another and so um, the main concept in a covenantal th- so what I started to say is so I have um, Reformed Baptist brothers and sisters and then there's a difference between Reformed Baptist and then um, Reformed and Presbyterian um, brothers and sisters i'm in their foreign presbyterian camp so i believe that for you know so it comes down, it always comes down to infant baptism so i believe covenantally we're supposed to i got reasons for doing this biblically you're supposed to household baptisms that that doesn't just mean what makes you think there were infants in the household it doesn't matter whether the infants in the household or not a household was an institution household baptisms were done by but see this is my Baptist brother, my Reformed and Baptist brothers would say, I agree with you on the covenantal theology, but I disagree with you on how you, who you apply being in the new covenant. I think, this is where you're going to disagree with me, Jesse and Jesse and Jesse, is that the reason that Baptists are missing it is because there's too much of a dispensational theology in their theology. There, I said it. I could be wrong. This is why Baptists, Reformed, and Presbyterians are such close cousins. Our covenantal theology is built upon the same theological lens. Yeah, and it really, it, that's what fascinates me, is that the divergence was always for me the reason that my Baptist brothers, who who don't see Baptists, who don't see baptism as being like as serious of a thing, that's not the right way to put it, as the Reformed people do. They've named their entire denomination after one of the sacraments and um it we really just disagree on who are to be the recipients of that do you have to be a believer or can it also be children of believers and that sounds like a, a minor point it's a huge point especially for for baptist and um but the the point being if you are and they're cutting the grass behind me it's making a weird echoey sound in here um my point was always if you could just understand the connection between um, the new covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. If you can just understand that the Old Testament is not equal to Old Covenant, that the Old Covenant referred to is the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is not the Old Covenant. Um, we are, the New Testament says that we are children of Abraham. Those who are of faith of the, in the household of faith are children of Abraham. We are the faith of Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is what is being fulfilled in the new covenant. It's being made new. But no, they, they'll get that and still not go to the, the who receives the sign of the covenant. And that's fine. But when it comes to when we are together as, as Baptists, Presbyterians, or whoever, covenantal theologians, we are polar opposites in this view to dispensational theologians who are a lot about, I don't know whether I want to say most Baptist, or if you're not, and Jesse, maybe you know this, I don't know, but if you're if you are not a Reformed Baptist in some sense are you therefore necessarily dispensational? I don't know. So I do know that there are Baptist churches that will not have much it would it is very difficult 
let me get this right because I don't want to offend people either. I don't want to unnecessarily offend people. Is that we all have things that we believe to be true, and there are certain things that we believe to be true. Then if you don't agree with that, then you're just out. And some of those things, and we see those as essentials to the faith. Some of those things are essential to the faith, but some of those things that some people hold are not essentials to the faith, and it divides the body of Christ. And that's one of my things I'm trying to, to see is the body of Christ not be so divided. I think denominations are fine. You obviously have to have different churches or it would have to be too big, but, um, but there needs to be much more connectivity and, um, and, and and unification of some sort between people who call Jesus Christ Lord, um, who believe that you know there's faith, there's salvation, and no one else. There's these other issues that divide us um, so much. So, um, and this is the huge part. How much more time do I have? Um, they see a vast separation between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, Jesse says, I left dispensationalism before embracing covenant theology. I think there is a range, but one closely follows the other. That, that makes sense. I mean, you know, a lot of churches are, none of us are homogeneous in what we believe about most things. When it, I mean, if you keep breaking it down too much. but um, And I think that's one of the things, too. It's like if we make something, if we make a particular issue of such a huge deal, it appears to outsiders as if we don't agree on anything. And so we have to be very careful with that. You know, if there's going to be, if there are going to be things that we're going to publicly argue about or publicly separate on, um, they need to be something really be like Jehovah's Witnesses versus Christians, um, things like that, Mormons versus Christians. And we don't need to, to be saying that we just have a minor disagreement. We need to say they're outside the church. So I think we need to be careful of what groups within the church we may be saying are outside of the church in different ways. So, yeah, so really, if, you, if you've ever been in a church that's like the Old Testament is no good, we're a New Testament church. I mean, they're leaning toward dispensationalism because the whole idea, too, is there's completely separate peoples of God. Really, there's three people of God. There's the Jew, which is Israel. There's the Gentile, which is everybody else. And then there are, um, there are believing... Let me see. I wrote this down because it doesn't even, doesn't even make sense the way I'm about to say it there. Um, the Jew, the Gentile, oh, and then the Church of God. So that's the three different type people. We have the Jew, the Gentile, Church of God. But there's also the understanding that the Jew, for the Jewish per the Jew sounds racist for some reason, the Jewish person is going to um, have a separate plan, that God has a separate plan for Israel, for, for the Jewish people, the, the lineage, the physical lineage of Abraham than he does for everybody else okay so that's going to be a key thing and we're going to look at that so here's um four major distinctions from this is from um, Stephen nichols today he, he talked about some of the similar things in here that john gershner was talking about he has a five minutes in church history that he does and this was like a couple back one there's a particular distinction between israel and the church they're two different people. God has separate and distinct plan for both. So Old Testament Israel and New Testament church, completely separate. 
Um, very interesting. We'll start looking at that some. Uh, one of the things was thinking about Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night and says, um, you know, what must I do to be saved? And he says, are you the father of, teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Um, you must be born again. How can a man be born again? Does he go a second time in his mother's womb? No, that which is born of spirit is born of spirit, which is born of flesh is born of flesh. So what, according to what I'm reading, dispensational theologians believe that Nicodemus was um, perfected pretty much as a Jew. He, he, Nicodemus was, was um, a Jewish person who followed the Old Testament teaching just like Paul did and they were both perfected under, under that system. But for them to be in the New Covenant now they had to be receive the spirit and be born again so that old testament believers don't have the holy spirit old testament believers were not regenerate old testament um, believers were followers of an external covenant and the promises were physical and in the new covenant it's a spiritual covenant and the promises are spiritual so that's something we'll look at too because it's, it's interesting um, but there is that distinction between israel and and the new testament church are two separate people and then god has a plan for israel at the last days second um john darby is the one that came up he had seven dispensations not everybody agrees on the seven dispensations but it's seven different ways that god deals with the people through time we believe um, there's a broad dispensationalism and a narrow dispensationalism everybody has to believe in dispensations in some sense because um, the bible does talk about it i mean there is a the, the old covenant and the new covenant there's god dealing with you know we no longer worship on the on the last day, the first day of the week, but on the last day of the week, worship on the first day of the week. We don't institute, we don't worship through sacrifices now. Jesus is the final sacrifice, but it's different than what dispensationalism teaches. Third, they have a very literal hermeneutic. The way they interpret scripture is extremely literal. It's even when it comes to um, eschat in the um, um, in Revelation, apocalyptic literature that. Um, is one of the things that we're going to have trouble with is that if you interpret symbolism symbolically see I call it symbolism they wouldn't call certain things symbolic so that's what you're going to run into um, and then fourth end times graphs and charts they have these graphs and charts and all this stuff is the rapture seven year tribulation second coming millennium and eternal state um, so what what I want to do is we kind of dig into this and if you don't find this interesting then um, I, I think what I would say is um, where I really want to get to is Matthew 24, where we're talking about, you know, the, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we're talking about the rapture, talking about um, the destruction of the temple. And so how are we looking at the destruction of the temple and how Matthew 21 through 24 is all talking about Jesus, saying there's coming into the age of the, of the, the old covenant, that the temple sacrifices, the temple worship, all this stuff is going to be it's going to be put to an end and transformed into what it always truly represented was Jesus Christ. It was always about Jesus Christ. From the beginning to the end, always about Jesus Christ. You were saved in the old testament times all the covenants by looking forward to the cross just like we're saved by looking back to the cross okay the, the, the lamb of god sacrificed before the foundations of the world now the rapture comes into this because it's a part of the dispensational teaching and so what we're going to look at is the passages that dispensational theologians deal with to teach about the rapture of the church 
you know, the, the, the pre-second coming coming, um, where Jesus comes back, takes people physically, and then the rapture, the the, the, the tribulation occurs and then he comes back again and sets up a, um, a thousand year reign on earth. You know, we'll look at um, what are some other, what's some different ways to interpret that. But, but really what we have to look at too, if we're going to address the idea of covenantal versus dispensational theology is, um, are we looking at a progressive revelation, a progressive covenantalism where God is revealing the one way of salvation for all people at all times through the covenants or has God been doing this and then he does this and then he does this and then he does this where we're living in the church age now but after the church age will come something else and that's the church won't be here anymore and then the Jews will be here and then the, there's another temple set all that stuff is reinstituted and then what difference does it make whether you believe things in those ways because it's going to make some difference in the way you interpret scripture which is going to make a difference in what you believe about how Jesus Christ saves people what you believe about grace what you believe about how you come into the covenant what you believe about election what you believe about eternal security and all these things and then Jesse says, does dispensationalism teach that Jewish people can be saved without faith in Christ? Well, that is a great question, and that is something we will continue to look at, too. I know you're studying this stuff, too. It, what I'm going to say to that answer now is, in the Old Testament, yes. From what I was reading, if my sources are correct, is that the idea was that they were saved. They were the bride of Yahweh not the bride of Christ. And there's a, that's another fascinating... A lot of these things are just stuff that people don't think about. You know, so, so we're the bride of Christ. Um, and in the, this, in the, dispensa the way they're explaining dispensational theology is the Old Testament Jews were saved by following the law. They were saved, but then the New Testament says they, they stumbled on the stumbling block. They pursued the law as if it was to salvation, and it wasn't. It was to teach them that they needed a Savior. Um, it even says that the rock they followed was Christ, um, that Abraham, uh, Jesus told the, his disciples that he told the Jews that were not believing him that Abraham looked forward to his day and was in, in faith and was longing to see it. So, you know, Abraham had faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Moses considered the reproaches of Christ to be um, of greater value than the riches of Egypt. And he wasn't alive yet. So, um, there's problems with that. Now, we'll, in the New Testament, pre-post-millennial view of dispensationalism, will Israel be saved without Christ? I don't, I don't believe so, but I believe that it will be, I think there's, te that's, we're teaching about um, sacrifices being reinstituted and stuff. Seems like a break, and Jesse says, seems like a breakdown in understanding of the work of the Trinity. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I just know there was a time, I mean, I remember in seminary the idea that the whole, well, there's a, an article I have about the the operation of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You know, did believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them? Because there is something different with the New Testament church 
because we have the spirit of the but we have the spirit of the risen Christ. They didn't have the spirit of the risen Christ. They had the spirit of Christ, but he was not yet ascended to the Father. I'll send another helper and then the Holy Spirit comes and, and unites us not with an external things but with internal things. But it was circumcision of the heart in the Old Testament. See, once you make if you can make covenantal connections with old covenant, new covenant things and see how there were shadows and, and people if you're saved by faith in the Old Testament, Hebrews eleven, and saved by faith in the New Testament, all these things make complete sense and connections. And I really think it's a key to understanding scripture. So if you if you miss the connections between the New Testament and the Old Testament, you separate it too much, and that's just two dispensations, then you miss what, what Christ is about and everything. So yeah, I think um, the Trinitarian nature of God in the Old Testament is something that um, wasn't... It, it, the, the big teaching of the Old Testament was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Um, you shall love the Lord thy God, the heart, soul, mind, strength, and neighbor yourself. It's like the, the oneness of God was very important for Israel to understand in a world of polytheism so you had to understand that the unity of god which as trinitarians we believe there is one god there is only one god who exists in three persons and we see it when we look back into the old testament but what god wanted them to understand is there are not three gods there are not a hundred gods there's one god and um and that's an important important thing too so um I'm going to do something that's a little dangerous. I'm going to admit, I don't know, I'm not an expert in this stuff. So what I'm going to do is, and I think we'll have fun doing, is study this stuff together. And I don't want to get all bogged down into and stuff. Just, you know, I don't want to waste my time on stuff that's not important either. Um, and really, I want to get into Matthew 21 through 24 that talks about um, the destruction of the temple. And... Um, and these things, but you're not going to be able to understand how Matthew 21 through 24 is about the destruction of temple, the temple, and the Old Testament um, age and the end of the Old Covenant with dispensational baggage. Because, and there's a lot of it, and I think that's what in our culture here at least. I'm surprised how much dispensational baggage we have. And so, you know, what does that even mean to have that? So let's be biblical. Let's rightly handle the Word of God. Let's uh, make sure that we are we, we maintain that. There was last thing I wanted to read. Um, okay, so next time we're going to look at is the concept of predestination in the people of God and how dispensationalism thinks about that. And um, I know when I was, before I became reformed, I didn't know what predestination was. I just knew it was bad. <laughs> so that was, but predestination is in the Bible, so you have to at least figure out what does the Bible mean by it. And so we'll look at that too. So anyway, um, are we living in the end times? Absolutely. From the time of Christ till now, we're living in the end times. Are we living in tribulation? John said he was in the tribulation in the book of Revelation. Um, I think it depends on where you are as to how much of the tribulation you think you're going through right now. So um, I think that the important thing, wherever you are on your eschatological views of all these things, is that we keep in mind that 
The role of the church is to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to remain faithful, to not bow the knee to the state, to not bow the knee to Baal, to not bow the knee to man, but to bow the knee to King Jesus Christ who is ruling right now on his throne. And we're to obey him, we're to love him, we're to love our neighbors ourselves, we're to figure out how to be salt, how to be light, and we're supposed to um, be all about sharing the gospel with people and teaching the gospel to ourselves. Jesse, is there a close connection between dispensationalism and Arminianism? There's another good question. I am not going to, at this late point, pontificate on that because I have no idea. Dispensationalism and Arminianism. Got to be. All right, I don't know. We'll look at that too. All right, so, I mean, I'm happy to do a Zoom with 70 different people up here if somebody else wants to talk about it, if you have ideas or anything too. Um, but... Uh, if this doesn't bring us closer to Christ, it's a waste of time. If this doesn't help us see the glory and beauty of the salvation that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ, it's a waste of time. And maybe even worse than a waste of time. Um, all these things have to give to um, God alone be the glory in the name of Jesus Christ through faith and grace. Um, and But it's by the scriptures. That's got to be our standard too. So... Um, what am I doing in quarantine? I'm working harder than, than I have yet, and I'm going to start studying a little bit about dispensationalism. Hey, if I become a dispensationalist at the end of it, we'll find another church for me to go to, because they ain't going to let me be here. <laughs> that was a terrible way to end this. All right, God bless everybody, and um, pray for one another, and seek to do good. North Carolina State is opening, not the state of North Carolina is starting to open up more. Um, there's an executive order for churches. I mean, executive order from the governor. It addresses churches. And um, uh, read it carefully. And it kind of gives the mass gatherings do not apply to worship services. So that's interesting. Um, so, you know, serve the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right. God bless.